0: Happy November, or should I say, Happy Turkey Month, for those of you that celebrate Thanksgiving. I'm your host, Angela Bowen, and welcome to another episode of Punky Power, an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast. Today, I'll be discussing another serious episode of Punky Brewster. This one is very well known that even people that may not have watched Punky Brewster know this episode, which is Season 2, Episode 16, Cherry Lifesaver, which aired on January 19th, nineteen eighty. Hold on. All right. It aired on January 19th, 1986. I don't know why I had to double-check because I had already looked as I was writing this. All right, well, Henry reluctantly buys a new refrigerator and puts the old one in the backyard. Mike teaches CPR to the children in class. Alan goofs off and is sent to the principal's office. When the children are playing hide-and-seek in the backyard, Cherry hides in the fridge and suffocates. Alan doesn't know what to do, so it's up to Punky and Margot to save their friend's life. This episode was actually the winning entry of a story writing contest, and I will play that audio clip for you now.
1: Hi gang, would you like to win a chance for you and your family up to four to come to Hollywood and meet me and my family? It's easy, just send us your idea for a story you'd like to see on Punky Brewster. Here's the rules, must be 25 words or less, one entry per envelope. You must be TV. Here's where you send your entry. Punky Brewster, Post Office Box 10369. Burbank, California, 91510. 0369. Good luck. See you next week. Gentlemen, tonight we have a very special episode of Punky Brewster. Based on an idea submitted to us by Jeremy Reams, age 8. The winner of our Punky Brewster story contest. Congratulations, Jeremy, and thanks for the great idea.
0: The episode opens up in the kitchen as Henry and Punky are sitting down for breakfast. Brandon's got a huge dog bowl, bigger than his whole head, it looks like. Punky looks at the back of the cereal box while she eats her cereal. Remember the days when we did that as kids? I bet kids today don't do that. They're all on their phones or tablets watching cartoons on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime. Suddenly, there comes a noise that sounds like a belch, but this time, it's not coming from Brandon, as Punky tells him. Excuse yourself, Brandon. Henry tells her, well, it's usually Brandon, but this time, I think it's the refrigerator, as he heads over to open it. He pulls open the freezer door, and all the TV dinners have frosted over with freezer burn. Oh, that's gonna be gross. And I don't think freezers are supposed to do that, plus that freezer looks very tiny. Punky looks shocked, and Henry points out frustrated that he just defrosted three days ago. Punky suggests the refrigerator is pretty old, and maybe that he should get a new one. Henry looks at her appalled and tells her, No, I love this machine, and then he comments how in his day they made things to last. When he shuts the refrigerator, it starts to emit a cloud of black smoke behind it. Yeah, it's done for, Henry. May as well face the facts. Not to mention, it seems like it's a fire hazard now to keep it in the house. Even Brandon makes a quick dive through his doggy door. Henry looks at Punky relenting and tells her, well, maybe we should get a new fridge. There's a knock at the back door, and Betty and Cherry come in, and Betty immediately catches on to the smell left over from the fridge being blown out, but she asks if... He was trying to make French toast again. Henry corrects her, saying, No, it's just my fu- my fridge blew up. Betty tells him, Well, I'm not surprised, being it's as old as you are. Punky adds how, Too bad it wasn't a person, or we could have given it first aid. And this is where it segues into the second plot of the episode when Betty asks the girls what they know about first aid. And they tell her, Well, we've been learning about it in school. Punky tells her that today in class, we're going to be learning CPR. And Betty tells him, that's good. You know, I kind of wish I had been certified in CPR when I was that age, or at any age, to be honest. They didn't teach them to me when I was in school. Betty asks Punky if she's ready to be taken to school. And Punky tells her, well, I just have to get my other things. And Cherry follows her into the living room. Henry pulls out his warranty on the fridge. Oh, I hope it's still good. I think our warranty on our new fridge is only good for eight years, and we bought it like five years ago. I'm not 100% sure on that, though, so I'd have to double check. In the next scene, we see the chalkboard that reads, Learn CPR, Save a Life, and there's a smiley face after it. Mike asks the class if they call... If they can explain what cardiopulmonary resuscitation means. Alan jokes, explain it, I can't even pronounce it, as he bursts into giggles. Yeah, this episode, Alan is again back at it with being disruptive. Does he have ADHD or ADD? I mean, he wasn't like this before, making unwarranted jokes while Mike is teaching, and then in the episode, The Gift, where he made fun of Linda's disability. I know his character is on his way out the door in the beginning of season three, but the writers are turning him into a brat here. Mike looks at Alan, telling him, well, I bet you didn't read your CPR chapter last night. Alan looks at his classmates, asking, okay, who told? Punky Cherry and the other kids shake their heads like, oh, Alan... This makes me so uncomfortable watching these kids sitting on their desks. Like, these desks could tip forward at any moment. Maybe because it happened to me when I tried it as a kid. Ellen explains to Mike that, well, I started to read it, but I figured CPR is for grown-ups, so I didn't finish it. Mike tells Ellen that kids can also learn CPR. Cherry says how, judging from the pictures in her book, it looks like fun. Well, you know, I mean, it's not meant to be fun. It's a life-saving technique. Punky adds how she thinks it would make a great party game. The kids all giggle at this. Of course, at age nine, they probably wouldn't know what it's used for, even if they did read this booklet he gave them. Mike, at least, is going to explain to them the seriousness of CPR and why it should only be used in extreme situations. I want to play this clip of Mike explaining to Punky, as well as the rest of the class, what CPR is and the dangers that could possibly occur while performing it. So here's the clip. From the pictures in the health book, it looks like fun. Yeah, I bet it would make a great party game.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, Jerry. You see, Punky, CPR is not a game. You can break somebody's ribs while doing it. Now, it should only be used if a person isn't breathing or their heart is stopped.
1: But wouldn't that be too late? Wouldn't the person already be dead?
2: Mm. Not if you administer CPR within four to six minutes. Now, basically, what you're doing is you're breathing and pumping the heart for the person until the body can do it on its own.
1: Mike, it's getting close to lunch. We have to study something so
0: gross.
2: (laughs) Not only are we going to study it, my friend, but we are going to learn how to do it.
0: He tells her it's not a game and you can even break someone's ribs while doing it and it should only be used if a person isn't breathing or their heart is stopped. Now, I remember, this was back in like 2006, maybe 2007, when I worked at KFC, I was out in the dining room wiping down the tables when a woman and her husband were sitting down there having lunch. And all of a sudden, she kind of started choking. She was like, I'm choking, I'm choking. And the thing is, I didn't think she was serious at first. You know, I thought, oh, maybe she's kidding. I, I. Anyway, her husband is like, does anyone know the Heimlich Maneuver? Is that and I'm like, okay, well, I'll go, I'll go ask. Because I didn't know it myself. And I'm like, hey, does anybody, I asked over to the counter, does anyone know the Heimlich? There's a lady out there that's choking. And basically, nobody knew it. We did call an ambulance. The the lady's husband was really pissed that none of us were trained. And I later found out that even if we had been trained in the Heimlich maneuver, we would not have been able to administer it because the fact that if one of us were to do that, she gets injured, well, then there's a lawsuit. So, I mean, it's like, honestly, what can you do in a situation like that? The only thing you can honestly do is call an ambulance and have them do the proper CP- the procedure because they are actually certified and that is their job. Now, Punky asks, wouldn't it be too late by then and wouldn't the person already be dead? Excuse me. But Mike assures her not if she takes the proper steps... Until the person's heart starts pumping again and then they start breathing on their own. Alan, of course, complains that it's getting close to lunch and do we have to talk about something so gross? You complain now, Alan, but just you wait till you're in that position. Mike tells him that not only are we going to study it, we are going to perform it. And he tells Alan that he can be first and adds to Cherry that she can be his partner. Cherry, of course, complains. What did I do? See, Alan, see what happens when you complain. No one wants to be your partner. Mike pulls out the the um doll from a compartment the size of about a suitcase. He actually has to unfold the legs, which are made of cloth, or really, really thin, so it all kind of you know folds together. Mike tells the class they're going to practice CPR on her, and as he uses a wet he uses a wet wipe to clean off her lips, which of course. If he was having all the kids go through that procedure, you're going to want to do that every single time. Because you're going to be passing germs from one kid to another. And if one kid's sick, the whole lot of them are going to be sick. Alan chimes in with that, no thanks, Mike, she's not my type. The class bursts into laughter. Oops, hold on. Um, What the heck did he say? I'm sorry, guys. Um... So, Alan says that, being a goof-off, the class bursts into laughter, and I wonder if it's just due to nerves about performing CPR, and they're just, you know, maybe he just needs to let out that nervous energy, but Mike turns and gives Alan a hard look and tells him, you know, that's enough. He has Alan and Sherry lay the resuscitation, her name is Annie, resuscitation Annie, on the floor, mentions how CPR should only, should always be done on a hard surface, Mike then tells the class, you should always ask if the person is okay first before performing CPR. Ellen, of course, cannot keep his mouth shut, and Mike sends him to the principal's office. Cherry asks Mike if she has to go with Ellen since they're partners, and Mike tells her, no, I dissolve your partnership, and then he tells her to take a seat. Then he brings in Punky and Margot. As volunteers to perform on Resuscitation Annie. Margot actually folds her hands together, begging and dropping to the floor, pleading to be chosen. Now I'm going to play this clip when Mike tells Alan to leave and he has Punky and Margot go through. Well, basically it's going to be right where he has, um, Punky and Margot perform CPR. So you're going to hear basically how he instructs them how to do that and everything like that. So he lays out the scenario, says, you know, the girls say, all right, it's that. he says, it's after school, you're on your way home. When they see Annie clutch her, t- her chest and fall to the ground, then he asks, what do you do? So I'm going to play this clip, and I will be right back. You ready? Yeah.
2: Here we go, girls. It's after school. You two on your way home, you pass the bus stop, you see, Annie, clutch your chest and fall to the ground. What do you do? Uh, um, uh, um, I, I, um, I'm not sure. There'd be no problem if, if it was 15 years from now. What do you mean? By then, I'll be married to a doctor. The first thing you do is ask somebody to call the paramedics.
1: Mike, Call the paramedics.
2: I'm on my way. Annie, are you all right? No answer? No. Then it's time to look, listen, and feel. Okay. Look first. Her chest
1: isn't moving. Listen. I can't hear her breathing. Feel. I can't feel her
2: breath. What okay. do we do now? She isn't conscious and she isn't breathing. We don't have much time, so you tilt her head back to open the airway. Okay. okay. Good. She still isn't breathing. So you give her four quick breaths.
1: Go ahead, Margot. Uh, no, thanks. I'll let you do it. I really don't mind if you do it. I better not. I feel a cold so coming on, see?
2: Girls, we don't have much time. This woman needs your help. Okay, here goes. One, two, three, four. Terrific. Now check for pulse and breathing.
1: still isn't breathing. No. Of course. It's a dummy. If she was, I'd be really freaked out. <laughs>
2: okay. Now we have to pump her heart. Now this is where teamwork comes in.
1: I'll be the breather and you can be the pumper. Okay.
2: Well, uh, Margo, Margo. You don't press there. The heart is up here. Okay. okay. Alright. All right. I'm gonna count it off. Alright. Ready? One-one-thousand, two-one-thousand, three-one-thousand, four-one-thousand, breathe. Again, one-one-thousand, two-one-thousand, three-one-thousand, four-one-thousand, breathe. All right, girls, the yellow and green light went on. That means that you both did the procedure correctly. Annie has a pulse and her heart is beating. We did it! Congratulations, girls, because you just saved a life! Yeah! Yeah!
0: Now, for those of you that have seen the episode before, I mean, majority of people have. These episodes are, like, over 30 years old now. Um, How interesting, a little foreshadowing here. Alan said to the principal's office, Cherry is told to sit back down and observe. He picks Punky and Margot to be the ones to demonstrate... You know how the CPR is going to be run. Interesting foreshadowing how that's going to play later on in the episode as those two girls were picked. Cherry was told to sit down, and Alan's gone. It's exactly that's how it's all going to break down towards the end of the episode when everything just hits the fan. All right, so like I said, Mike lays out the scenario for the girls. It's after school; they're on their way home. Annie clutches her t- chest and falls to the ground. Then he asks, "What do you do?" Punky and Margot stumble over their words, unsure of their first move. But Margot does mention that, "Well, it'd be no problem if it were 15 years from now." Mike asks, "Why?" She tells him, well, because by then I'd be married to a doctor. Yeah, right, she'd be 24. No doctor is going to be an official doctor at 24. They'd still be in college waiting to be accepted into medical school. Plus, unless he was walking with her, he'd be of no use to the situation. Unless she had a cell phone and could actually get a hold of him. Mike tells them their first action would be to call a paramedic or 911. So Punky tells him, all right, Mike, go call a paramedic. And then he pretends like he's walking away while he stands back and leads the girls through the steps. He tells them to look, listen, and feel. Look first, and Punky, excuse me, guys, Mm. I'm drinking pop, so of course it's going to cause whatever. Look first, and Punky notes Annie's chest isn't moving, and then Mike has Margot listen to see if Annie's breathing. She isn't. Then he has Punky feel, and she tells him, well, I don't feel her breathing. Shouldn't he have had her che- Punky check her, pul- her neck for a pulse to get a heartbeat? Well, no, because this is a little different. The, the order of operations is a little different. So, like I said, I mean, I'm like, why didn't... Punky and Margo both check to see if Annie's breathing. Why did they both check if Margo confirmed she couldn't hear her breathing? Margo asks, what do we do now? Well, Mike tells them, Annie's not conscious and she's not breathing, so they don't have much time. Mike tells Punky to tilt Annie's head back to open her airway. I bet these kids would have learned a lot from Rescue 911, which I don't think started airing until sometime in the late 80s to early 90s. I know I did. I still have a fear of the bottom step of the an escalator and always hop over the very bottom step. He tells her that Annie still isn't breathing and tells Punky, all right, you give her four quick breaths into her mouth. Punky gets ready to, but stops as she realizes the intimate contact involved and then turns to Margo telling her, Margo, you go ahead. Margo claims to have a cold sore. No, no, I have a cold sore. See, see? Mike tells the girls, there's no time to sit there and argue about who's going to give mouth to mouth. This woman needs your help. Really, girls, someone is most likely dying right before your eyes and you're going to argue and claim a cold sore to get over... Get out of giving mouth-to-mouth? I know it's weird, them weirding them out, the idea of putting their mouth onto someone else's, but that all goes out the window. You don't have time to think about it. A moment wasted means it could be the victim's last. Punky gathers her courage and leans down, pinching the victim's nose and blowing four breaths into Annie's mouth. As Mike counts her down after each one. Then he tells her, very good. Mike tells the girls, okay, check for a pulse and her breathing. And they do, Punky tells Mike, Annie's still not breathing. He has the girls do chest compressions combined with the breathing and then shows Margot the correct placement of her hands on the chest so she doesn't break Annie's ribs. They do this method twice and he tells them the yellow and green light came on together, indicating they did the procedure correctly. Mike congratulates them because now Annie has a pulse and her heart is beating. They just saved a life. The girls cheer and the other kids leap off their desks and join in while Mike pumps his fist in the air. Now, in the next scene, we get some ominous music playing as we see Cheapo Chester's discount store. Now, I've heard this ominous music play before. Remember the episode Henry Falls in Love, Part 2, where Punky runs away, thinking that if the only way for him and Maggie to be together is if she leaves, and she enters his junkyard. Well, that's the same music cue that they're playing here. So it's just like, oh, this is foreshadowing, okay, he's getting the new fridge, the old one's going out, so on and so forth, and this is, that's what happens. Oh, Henry, why did you go here? This place just screams skeeby and scam artist. This store has a really creepy clown lying on its back as it twirls in a circle with pinwheels attached to its hands and feet. Yikes. Henry's walking around and he passes this fridge that has a sign that reads, Easy Lifetime Payments. Why would I want to be making payments for a lifetime, no matter how small? I mean, ugh. This guy comes in, zeroes in on Henry right away as he comes around the corner, shoving his hand out for Henry to shake as Henry tells him, Well, I'm just browsing. My name's Henry. See, this is why Jeremy usually leaves it to me to look at stuff he doesn't like to really be bothered by people. Or when we look together, I tell salespeople, we're just looking. So Chester, Cheapo Chester, he is the guy who runs the store, Cheapo Chester's, asks if he's looking for a refrigerator. Henry tells him, maybe. And Chester directs him over... To the one with the easy lifetime payments. Now, I want to play this clip of the scenario this guy sets up. I'll be right back.
3: Oh, hey, hi. I'm Cheapo Chester, and you are browsing Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So, looking for a refrigerator, huh? Perhaps. <laughs> well, what can I say to get you to take this little baby home today? It's free. <laughs> Love your sense of humor, Hank. No, come on, seriously. I'm looking for the model that you advertise in the paper today. Oh, yeah. And it's a honey. A real honey. 14 cubic feet, 6 cubic feet of freezer. That's the one. Automatic ice maker, water dispenser. That's the one. Where is it? Gone. Gone? Gone. Gone. Then some, money. Uh... No, hold it. Hank. Hank. hang, 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 We got plenty more to choose from. I mean, we're talking top freezer, bottom freezer, built-ins, built-outs, left-handed, right-handed, one cubic foot to infinity. So why don't we just take a look at this little side-by-side charmer? I'm not charmed. Forget that price. Ignore that price. On that price. Hank, to get your business, I'm willing to knock off 200 bucks and throw in a 40-piece container set. Genuine plastic. Really? Really. And here's the piece of resistance a free digital alarm clock what do you say hank easy lifetime payments oh hey don't worry about it for you it's not that long i don't know it's still a large amount of money this is a beaut look at the size of this sucker Uh uh-oh That must be a mistake. It can't be that cheap. That's the price. Well, I'll take it. Well, you're in luck, friend, because that's the last one we have. Excuse me, but I was looking at this model first. Well, looking ain't buying. I'm willing to put cash on the barrel head. I'm sorry, Hank. This man is ready to buy, and you did say you wanted to talk it over, so... I've thought about it. I want it. Shoot. (laughs) Better luck next time. Congratulations, Hank. Look, why don't you just step right on into the credit department and finalize the deal, huh? My pleasure, (laughs) Chester.
0: All right. Henry tells him he's interested in the refrigerator and the ad he's holding, and the guy tells him it's gone. Is it really, though, or is he just saying that? He leads Henry back over to the double-sided fridge with a lifetime payment sign on it. Henry looks at the price. $700, 700 almost $800 they want for this fridge? And this was in the 80s. I wouldn't pay that now in 2017 for a fridge. When Jeremy and I got a new fridge five years ago, we spent probably just a little over 500 And that was enough for us. You know, we just got a basic top-bottom model. We used to have a double-sided fridge. But, you know, that came with the house when we moved into it, so... And I I wouldn't probably never go and get a uh a double sided fridge again. That just uh it didn't work for us. It's like first the freezer went out and then the regular, you know, fridge side went out. I'm like ugh, crap. But anyway, you know, we got we got it at Home Depot, but we had to rent one of their trucks and bring it home ourselves. It was a real pain in the butt to get it through the door that, you know, leads from the garage into the kitchen. And, uh, you know, it was basically just us that was doing that, and this thing was heavy. You know, the delivery charge for them to deliver it would have actually been probably through the roof. So we're like, no, just give us, we'll rent a truck, we got the dolly, it'll be fine. The guy offers to knock $200 off the price of the fridge for Henry, And throw in a free 40-piece plasticware set and an alarm clock? Yeah, right. I'm sure that those are included in the price. Henry does notice the easy lifetime payments. The sales guy has the nerve to tell him, Oh, for you, it's not that long. Henry still thinks it's a lot of money, as some folksy yokel comes up dressed in an Elmer Fudd hat, mentions he wants to buy the fridge, and Henry is pulled back in immediately saying, Hey, I was here first. The Elmer Fudd guy tells him, well, I got cash up front, and he fans this wide, large amount of bills, just fanning it, like, well, I got cash right here in my hand. Yeah, it's not real. The salesman adds, well, sorry, guy, it's the last one left. What are you going to do? That's when Henry tells the salesman, well, I'll take it. I'm not going to think, it. I've thought it over. I want it. Wow, some nerve. Would that kind of sales approach work today, you think? I really don't know. As soon as Henry leases, as soon as Henry leaves to go finance it, the salesman and his slumpy goon are off to haggle another customer. And she jumps on buying that same fridge that Henry was looking at less than five minutes ago. This guy must be living large on all the commission he's making off these sales. The kids are all playing hide-and-seek in the backyard in the next scene as Henry has put the old refrigerator out there for the trash people or basically it was for the Salvation Army to come get. Alan's uh, leaning against a tree with his arm over his eyes as counting as the kids are all trying to find a hiding spot. Punky and Margo hide under the box for the new fridge that the new fridge came in as Cherry heads that way. She probably realizes, well, I'm not going to fit. You know, not all three of us will fit in there. As Henry comes out and she shushes him like, hey, we're playing hide and seek. Quiet. And then she goes inside the apartment. Henry walks behind the fence, but not. Let's see. But not before he puts a hand on the old fridge, kind of bidding it a fond farewell. Cherry comes back outside and gets inside the old fridge. And you know that there's a lever on it. But there's no way once if you get inside it, that suction holds and there is no way to get out of that. I remember one time, another time I was working at KFC and I had to get into the walk-in freezer. Now on the inside of the walk-in freezer, yeah, they have a handle on the outside. On the inside, they have this push mechanism that basically opens the door from the inside so you can get out so you don't freeze to death. <laughs> well, I went in there the door closed. I'm like, okay, I got what I needed. And I go to push my hand on, on the mechanism to open the door. It's not working. Luckily, you know, it's in the kitchen where there are people coming back and forth. I'm like, hey, hey, I can't get out. I can't get out. Luckily, someone opened the door. But just the idea that when I put my hand on it and it didn't, it wasn't opening the door. Instant panics kind of set in a little like oh crap crap but luckily you know there's people around there they can hear it's not soundproof so it's not like but anyone. Anyway. Alan counts to 100 and then starts to look for the girls. Alan actually walks over to the fridge. As he gets ready to open it, he spies Punky and Margot's eyes peeking out from the side hole in the new fridge's cardboard box. The girls actually give themselves away as they begin moving the box with them still in it. So basically, they're walking with the box on top of them. Okay, Alan may be some things, but he's not that incompetent. The girls lift off the box, knocking Alan, who was behind them, onto the grout in the process as they run for the home free spot at the tree. I just noticed none of these kids are wearing gloves. They all have on heavy coats, except Cherry, who had an a jean jacket. I mean, I wore gloves. I wear gloves when it's like 40 degrees outside and I'm walking. When I was writing these notes, I went for a walk. It was 40 degrees out. I'm like, okay, I need my gloves. <laughs> it's not that warm out. And this is supposed to be, in the episode, it's supposed to be wintertime. So probably, maybe January, February, somewhere around there. So that is, like, dead in winter. And they are in Chicago. It is cold. It is, I, I mean, I don't live in Chicago, but it's it's cold. This is, the you know, the Midwest area. It gets colder than some other areas. So Henry comes back into the yard. Punky asks, what are you doing? He tells her, I'm going to take the door off the fridge because the Salvation Army is going to pick it up that afternoon. And he says, I do not want any of you playing near it. Ellen points upward and says, hey, look, it's snowing. Margot, of course, freaks out, stating she's going inside before her hair frizzes. Oh, brother. He tells them they should all go inside, and Punky tells him, Well, we can't go in yet. We haven't found Cherry. And he Henry tells them, Well, I just saw her go inside. You'll find her there. So they all go inside and close the door. Then we hear Cherry from inside the fridge asking them, Alright, guys, you can open the door now. And let me out. And you know, she's like, Come on, it's dark in here, as she pounds on the door from the inside. That suction must really hold. This breaks my heart as her cries of help become more frantic, calling out to Punky or someone to help her. Back in the kitchen, Henry is over the moon about his new fridge and offers Betty some ice. She tells him, I'm drinking hot chocolate. Like, Why would I want ice? Betty walks over to him and exclaims how he's just like a kid with a new toy. And he turns to her and tells her how amazed he is by his new fridge and how he practically stole it from Cheapo Chester. Then, boy oh boy, does Betty have a surprise for him. She tells him that that man ripped off her cousin. I want to play this clip because it is so funny. I'll be right back.
1: I can't help it. This machine is amazing. And the price? (laughs) I practically (laughs) stole it from Cheapo Chester. You bought that from Cheapo Chester?
3: Yes, indeedy. Ooh, I don't trust that man. He hoodwinked my cousin, Giselda. How? Well, she was eyeballing this stove. Then this big old country boy came in and said he wanted to buy it. Really? Then Chipo said it was the only one left, so rather than pass up a good deal. Your
1: cousin said she saw it first and she bought it.
3: Exactly.
0: How did you know?
1: Okay, guess.
0: All right, guys. I'm gonna play this quick clip of Cherry being locked in the fridge. Um, I just I, I want to play it because I think it's some amazing acting from the actress Cherry Johnson who plays Cherry, and you know just her her acting with her, her franticness of just you know being stuck in that 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 fridge and she's just wanting to get out. It's like, hey, let me out, come on. I mean, she thinks that the kids are still out there because. That little space has got to be soundproof, so she can't tell, she probably didn't hear what Henry was saying when he said, don't play near the refrigerator, just leave it alone. So I'm going to play it, it's very short, and I'll be right back. All right. Margo burst bursts through the door in the living room, calling out for Cherry, telling her, Alright, you can come out now, the game is over. Betty and Henry come into the living room, wondering what all the commotion is about. And the kids tell them, Well, we still can't find Cherry. Henry tells the kids, Well, I saw her come inside, so she's still gotta be in the building. But the kids tell them, Well, we've looked everywhere. Betty worries aloud, hoping she's not outside in the snow, since she only had on a white jacket. The other kids have on winter coats. Now, I know I've seen Cherry with a winter coat on. Why isn't she wearing it? Henry tells him that he just saw her a few minutes ago, and she probably just found a good hiding spot. Yeah, a few minutes ago, probably what turned into a half hour ago. Punky tells him that doesn't sound like Cherry, and Margot adds how, aside from her, Cherry's the worst hider in the North American continent. They all decide to go look for her as Betty goes to her place to look. Well, if the kids all said, well, we looked everywhere in the apartment, so they didn't look in Betty's apartment, they didn't say, hey, Betty, can we check your apartment? We're looking for Cherry. So the kids all head outside again. Ellen's coming down from the treehouse as Henry comes outside. He tells Henry, well, she's not in the treehouse. Where are the girls? (laughs) Where are the girls? They all came outside. Where did they go? But of course, as we know, as we've seen this episode, they're not due to come out just yet. Then, Alan starts rambling about how he thought maybe she was climbing up his body while he was counting. Then he dismisses that thought on how he would have felt her there if she had been. Henry tells him, Alan, be quiet. As they walk around the backyard calling for her, Henry walks around the fence line, and Ellen checks behind the trash cans and empty cardboard box that had come with the fridge. Henry decides to check the fridge and opens it and discovers a lifeless cherry. He has Alan give him a hand, pulling her out, and he tells Ellen she's not breathing, as Alan asks, Is she gonna be alright? Henry turns to Alan and asks if he learned CPR in class. Alan starts to say no, as Henry's like, Well, give her CPR! That's when Alan says, well, I can't because I was sent to the principal's office. Henry exclaims, oh, God, I don't know the procedure either. They didn't have that when he was in the Marines, did they? He should have called the paramedics and get Betty. Betty should have been the first. She is a nurse. She is trained in CPR. She would have known how to do the procedure. Of course, he didn't think of her just at that second. Henry, then he does turn to Alan and says, all right, call the paramedics and get Betty down here. Okay, so he did do that. I was just kind of jumping the gun. Like, where is she? Why isn't she down there? So I'm going to play this clip of Margot and Punky doing CPR on Cherry. The girls handled this very, very well. You know, it's their friend. They're all serious about it. They don't stop and say who's going to do what. They just go right into that mode and and like, okay, here's what we're doing, we've done this before, and that's just, all right, I will be right back.
1: CPR in school?
2: Uh, well, I...
1: Give her CPR now! Uh, I can't! I didn't pay attention!
2: I got sent to the principal's office! Dear
1: God, I don't know the procedure either!
2: What do we do? We can't just let her go! Alan,
1: keep calm. I need your help. First, run up to my apartment and call the paramedics. You know how to do that?
3: 911?
1: Right. After you do that, find Mrs. Johnson. Go! Sherry got dropped in the refrigerator and she's not breathing! Alan, go call the paramedics! Okay, Margo, look, listen, feel.
2: Her chest isn't moving. Listen. I can't hear anything. Feel. I can't feel her breath. Cherry, can you answer me? Okay, open the airway. Good, Punky. Is she breathing now? Not yet. Okay.
1: Paul's Peggy! She's still not breathing. We have to do that hard thing. You girls know what you're doing. I sure hope so, Henry. Ready?
2: Go! One 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, four 1,000. Breathe! Again. One 1,000, two 1,000.
1: Where am I? What happened? It's all right, honey. You're fine. Remember, you were playing hide-and-seek, and you got locked in the refrigerator. You passed out, but we revived you. We did CPR.
2: Oh. Does that mean I'm it? Jerry. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's all right, Betty. She's fine. Don't you worry, honey. The paramedics will be here any minute.
0: Grandma, aren't you cold? No,
3: honey. Just lie still.
1: Betty, the girls saved her. They did CPR. You should have seen them. They knew exactly what they were doing.
3: God bless your hearts. If Uh. it hadn't been for you two, I. I might have lost my baby. Thank you, girls. Thank you. Cherry.
1: I'm
0: really sorry. I blew it. It could have died and it would have been all my fault. I'm not good enough to be good for you.
1: Oh, Alan. Don't be so hot on yourself. I didn't know CPR either. But I see its value. Or you say you and I... Go learn it together, huh? (laughs) And, if we're pointing the finger of blame, I should have taken the door off the refrigerator, snow or no snow.
0: Mrs. Johnson, Jerry going to be all right?
3: Jerry, how do you feel?
0: I'm hungry. Something tells me she's gonna be just fine. So Alan heads inside. He meets the girls halfway as they're coming outside and he tells them, Cherry's got, Cherry was trapped in the refrigerator and she's not breathing. Henry yells at Alan, go call the paramedics. Punky and Margo immediately jump into action as Punky turns to Margo, telling her, all right, look, listen, and feel. Margo sees Cherry's chest isn't moving. Punky doesn't feel her breathing and doesn't hear anything. Margot tells her, all right, open Cherry's airway by tilting her head. This has got to be traumatizing for them working on their friend, but I think in a way this will bring them all closer together in the end. So Margot asks if Cherry is breathing now that her head is tilted and Punky tells her, No, and then, all right, start giving her mouth-to-mouth. I noticed that when Punky breathed into Cherry's, Cherry's stomach kind of rose with every breath that Punky put into her. Margot checks and sees Cherry has no pulse. Punky turns to Margot and tells her, all right, we got to do that heart thing. Basically, you know, chest compressions. Henry asks the girls, do you know, are you sure you know what you're doing? And Punky tells him fearfully, I hope so. What is seriously taking Betty so long to get down there? What is taking her so long? How many stairs do they got to climb to get up to the apartment? Margot does four chest compressions and then tells Punky to breathe into Cherry. They repeat the process once more. Margot checks and tells Punky Cherry has a pulse and her heart is beating. As Cherry comes to and then starts coughing asking, where am I? What happened? I love how Margot cups Cherry's cheek. It's so sweet. Like, oh, I'm glad you're okay. Henry reminds Cherry that she was playing playing hide-and-seek and and got locked in the refrigerator. Punky tells her how, you know, you passed out, but Margo and I revived you. I guess all the yelling for help Cherry had done had kind of probably used what little oxygen had been in that space of that fridge. Margo tells her, we did CPR, and Cherry looks at her confused and asks, does that mean I'm it? referring to, you know, hide-and-seek, like, oh, do I gotta count now? Punky and Margo both hug Cherry as Betty comes outside, bends down by Cherry. Like, just, like, happy that her baby girl, that her, her granddaughter is okay. Henry tells her the girls did CPR. Cherry asks grandma, her grandma, if she's cold, because, I mean, she had on a white jacket. We She was in a tight and space. The kids were all wearing winter coats, so you know it had to have been maybe in the in the 20s or teens outside. You know, I hope those paramedics get there fast so we don't have Cherry going into shock or convulsions, because if she's like really, really cold, because she's probably been out there for at least maybe 20 minutes or a half hour. Betty thanks the girls for saving Cherry's life. And then we see Alan, who is clearly broken up about not being able to save Cherry because he was goofing off in class and got sent to the principal's office. So he was unable to learn the CPR procedure. Betty, then, you know, she hugs both the girls again. And then, you know, Alan go. he's really upset. God, this really makes me cry just hearing his him break down like this. Um, so he goes over to Cherry and offers her a tearful apology. Like I said, this breaks my heart. Even though this season, Alan has been displaying... Himself as being a goof off in class. He is still, at the end of the day, he has a heart of gold. And I kind of played that clip. I played that all together so you guys would get the whole thing. Um, Henry goes over to Alan and tells him, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. You know, I didn't know the procedure. And he su- then he suggests, hey, why don't you and I learn this together? You know, maybe Mike still has that mannequin for them to practice on. Then Henry chastises himself for not taking the door off the fridge in the first place because he said, well, I want to wait until it finishes snowing. Why? Just because snow's going to gather? Snow will fall out when the uh, Salvation Army guys come and lift the thing out. It will be fine. Ellen asks Mrs. Johnson if Cherry will be okay. Betty turns to Cherry and asks, you know, how do you feel? And Cherry tells her, hmm, I'm hungry. Punky smiles and tells the rest of them, I think she's going to be just fine. Punky hugs Cherry and kisses her on the forehead. Oh my gosh, she is such a great friend and Margot too. Oh my gosh. We hear the sirens in the background and that is the end of the episode. Alright, so it's time for my Brandon Tailwag episode rating. I'm giving this episode 5 out of 5 Brandon Tailwags. I love this episode so much. It was so informative and just the kids Punky and Margo working together. You know that Margo is kind of, you know, she's kind of stuck up and everything and she's always like, I gotta be better than everybody type of deal. But no, they worked together. They didn't argue. None of that. And they saved their friend's life. All right. So, one, I like the idea that this episode's storyline came from a child's imagination. You know, it was a contest that this boy Jeremy had submitted, and his application, you know, his idea won. Two, Mike did an amazing job explaining to the kids the seriousness of CPR and that it was not a game, and if you're not careful, you could end up hurting someone while performing it. The way he guided Punky and Margot through the procedure, just step-by-step, step, you know, kind of in a way that they could understand it. 3. Henry telling the kids not to go near the old refrigerator. While unbeknownst to him, Cherry was already inside, so of course she couldn't hear. 4. Alan's lack of knowledge of CPR having getting by getting kicked out of class leads him to feel guilty that he couldn't save Cherry. But Henry tells him that, you know, he himself did not even know the procedure, and he suggests that they go learn it together. I like that. Henry stepping in and just, you know, being there for Alan, because Alan, oh gosh, guys, Alan was feeling so upset and down on himself. Like, he felt like a failure. Like, I failed my friend, she could have died because I was being, you know, a goof, and I didn't, you know, stay for the lesson. Five, seen Punky and Margo work together to save Cherry's life. Like I said, there's no squabbling or arguing of who would do what. They wasted no time jumping in there and doing what needed to be done to save their friend's life. I hope Mike had the girls, you know, kind of reverse role so that way they knew how to do the other part of the procedure as well. All right, time for Punky's principles. This episode was one that people will remember and have for over 30 years. The episode where Cherry gets stuck in the fridge. Even if they've never seen all of Punky Brewster or they've heard of it, they have heard of this episode. They always mention how scary it was. I wish, like I said, I could have learned how to perform CPR at their age, or at least when I was a teenager. When I was 13 or 14, I was watching my two nephews that were under the age of four. I never had an emergency issue, but it would have been nice to be certified just in case. It's a shame that they don't make shows like this anymore. I remember watching Rescue 911 and seeing the Heimlich Maneuver done. The story was basically, you know, a couple boys in class, they had learned, the class had learned about the Heimlich Maneuver. Somebody, a nurse had come in and demonstrated it, kind of showing you what to do, where to place your hands around someone's stomach. And um, one of the boys, the teacher had stepped out, maybe go to the bathroom or something like that, where you can, a teacher would not be able to just up and leave the classroom without somebody else being there. And it was in a recess because it was raining out. And one of the kids, you know, you're not supposed to have food in class. This, you know, this one boy popped a Jolly Rancher in his mouth, and that is why I'm very hesitant. Of, I really don't have Jolly Ranchers anymore because of how... Long they are, and how easily it would be to get it stuck in your throat. So this boy was, like, laughing. All of a sudden, the Jolly Rancher got lodged in his throat. He starts choking, like, putting his hands up, you know, near his throat. Like, you know, I'm choking, I'm choking. Then another boy at, at, at another that was sitting at a boy table saw this. He, he jumped right into action. He's like, all right, I know what to do. These boys were probably no more than maybe seven, eight years old. And a couple other kids, they went, they went, ran outside, got the teacher, brought her back, like, hey, this boy is choking. So-and-so saved his, this boy, other boy saved his life. So it just goes to show that there are programs out there like this that help people through real-life situations, by reenacting real-life situations that kind of show you how. And even, you know, this episode showed kids that back in the day it was not safe to play around old fridges like that because if you, you know, especially for hide-and-seek, that's probably the, one of the reasons, like, oh, I'm going to go play hide-and-seek because all, all the drawers, everything was pulled out of that old fridge and basically there was just enough space for someone as small as Cherry to be able to fit inside. So, um, you know, that show, Rescue 911, had so many teachable moments, just like this show, just in the season alone of season two. Half of the episodes, I mean, they're all in a way teachable moments, but a lot of them, specifically this episode, focused on a lot of serious issues that were aimed at kids and what to do in these situations. All right. Oops, hold on a second. Okay, where did I leave off? Eh, All right. As we begin to close out, you know, as I close out season two this year, and I enter into season 3 in January. The show goes through a massive redo when they go into the first run syndication for the final two seasons of the show. Changing the age demographic, progressing the show from kid-child friendly to preteen. Because in the first two seasons, Punky's like 8 or 9. In seasons 3 and 4, she's going to be right around maybe 11 and 12. So, we see Punky growing up from the 8-year-old that she was to a spunky 11-year-old girl dealing with the pressures of growing up, becoming a young woman, getting her first bra, going out on dates with boys, and other stuff like that. So, why don't we take a look at some YouTube comments for this episode. This episode, this was one of the episodes that really stuck with me. That's one of them. A second one, I learned how to resuscitate my Rainbow Bright doll after this episode. Thanks, Punky. Another one, they made some changes to CPR since this episode. The chest compressions are much faster and it's one minute to get going for the best chance of saving the life. Love the show. Just don't follow these 30-year-old steps. Please learn the new guidelines. This is a nice one here, I'm two, a two of two thousand three kid, but this episode stuck with me, guys. I love the idea that new kids from the the aughts and everything they're coming to these episodes, and I just think that's amazing that thirty some years later, Punky Brewster is still doing her job. Kids are still learning lessons after all these years. You know, kids that watched this show when the show was on, their kids are now seeing, they're seeing the, um, you know, they're learning these lessons and everything. Even though times have changed, things are a lot different than they were 30 years ago, but these lessons are still teachable in some ways today. Alright, here's another one. Yet another Punky episode. Got me choked up again. Wow, so brilliant, brilliantly written, entertaining, funny, heartwarming, and most of all, worthwhile. If only all kids' programs were as, as educational as Punky Brewster. The moral of the story. Everything is fine and dandy when leaving Cherry locked in a fridge in the snow until her heart stops pumping blood to her brain and she goes brain dead. Thank God the kids knew CPR and the grown-ass adult had no idea what to do. As long as you don't cause a child permanent brain damage by neglect, it's all good. She can come back for playtime next week. I LOL. Here's another one. LOL. I know that's how it was done back then. Yet I can't help screaming, start pumping, start pumping, damn it. Today... Here's another one. Today, it's a law to remove the fridge when you toss the old fridge. Every kid should know 911 and CPR. That's true. They should. This was by far the most educational episode. There should be a lot more shows like this. Yes, there should be. All right. Does anyone realize that when you do CPR, you may end up breaking the person's chest bones? That's what the CPR instructor always tells us. Alright, I didn't know that. I kind of think that it's very capable that you could if you're not careful, if you're pressing down too hard. Alright, here is the last one. Funny for the salesman to say not that long for the easy lifetime payments when the actor who played Henry was still near so alive nearly 30 years later after the episode. Which, yeah, I think he died like a year or so ago. I, I should, he lived George Gaines lived to be a oh, oh at a very decent age. I've seen this like 98, 9899. All right, let's give a shout out to some new listeners for the last couple weeks. We have the we have Pennsylvania. Like I said, if I can't pronounce it, I'm just going to say that this say the state of the country. All right. We have Pennsylvania, Irving, Texas, Glendale, Arizona, Baldwin Park, California, Newburyport, Maine. West Bloomfield, Michigan, Janesville, Wisconsin, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Ashburn, Virginia, United Kingdom, London, United Kingdom, Mumbai, India, India. <laughs> sorry. Uh, North Carolina, Montenegro, Frankfurt, Germany, Moundsville, West Virginia, Madrid, Spain, India, Philippines, Paris, France, Minsk. Bellars, B-E-L-A-R-U-S, New York, New York, Broadbeat, Australia, West Bank, Canada, Poplar Bluff, Missouri, Rush, uh, Russia, uh, San Miguel, Spain, Washington, D.C., Vernon, Canada, Brooklyn, New York, Mountain View, California, and Santa Clara, California. I want to thank you all for listening. Whether you're just starting this podcast or whether you've been listening since the beginning, when I started back in February, whether you you know whatever platform you guys use, whether you listen to it on iTunes, whether you listen to it here on SoundCloud or Google Play or whatever other platforms you listen to to hear this podcast, I want to say thank you. I want to tell you how much I love giving you guys episode recaps of Punky Brewster. Just about every week, maybe not, you know, I've been absent for a couple weeks, but, um, you know, when I can get to an episode, I normally have been doing them weekly, but, uh, things come up sometimes, so, right, you know, just thank you in general for joining me as I go into full detail describing her, Punky's many adventures and shenanigans with Henry and Brandon and her friends, as well as my occasional running commentary and childhood stories. As you may know, um, if you enjoy this podcast, go to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. It is free to start an account with iTunes. So you can go there, you can leave a five-star review or whatever you feel that you feel this podcast is is worth. And there are also other ways for you guys to reach out to me. You can go on Facebook to the Punky Power podcast podcast facebook page you can like you can follow you can even message me on there as well and you can follow me on instagram where you can also comment on posts the same with facebook for upcoming episodes and you guys will even get a shout out on a future episode you can also email me at podcast at gmail.com Which, you guys, um, if you go to SoundCloud, you can access all of these links except for Gmail, which I believe you just would have to go to, um, your email account and send an email that way. And, let's see here. Alright. I am going to be releasing a mini-podcast, a couple mini-podcast episodes to inform you all of how I'm wrapping up the rest of Season 2 and gearing up for Season 3 in 2018. So, All of you have a wonderful holiday weekend if you celebrate Thanksgiving. If you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, that's okay too. Have a great week. Also, um, if you do Black Friday, I want to say please, please, please be careful. Be careful because you know how people get at 4 in the morning. You know how people are. They want those deals. They want those gifts. So, just be practical about what is worth getting and what is worth getting trampled over. Don't don't get trampled, guys. Come on, just overall, just have a good, safe Black Friday. <laughs> All right. I'll be back with a mini episode.